Tonk. Welcome to How to Be Human, a podcast that explores the common and often confusing themes of humanness. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today is a very grown-up episode in that we are talking about money. This is an episode or topic that I've wanted to talk about for a while, but I didn't really want to have someone on that just like came on and sort of talked about, I don't know, how we can make more or whatever. I wanted somebody with a different approach and Stella is that. I remember when Stella started following me on Instagram and I was like, oh, wow, they have this really interesting approach, have a really interesting backstory. And I really appreciate that Stella offers thinks of themselves as like a financial educator and a wealth activist. Because the truth is, as much as we all want to like talk about how terrible capitalism is, which it is, we are still dealing in a society where money is our primary source of currency. So I think their approach is like radical. So I wanted, I was so thrilled when Stella got in touch and wanted to be on the pod because I was like, that's so funny. I have a draft in my email about you being on the pod. <laughs> so it all worked out. So please enjoy episode 78 with Stella Gold Money. Okay, I feel like it's possible I avoided this episode because like anything that makes you uncomfortable, you don't always deal with it. But today is a much requested. I get a lot of, you know, when I ask for topics and things, money, money, money. And I had followed Stella on Instagram, gosh, I don't know, a while ago, and was like, ooh, they have a kind of radical approach to money and wealth activism and all these things. And we were able to connect. And so thankfully, luckily, all the nice words, uh, Stella's here with me today. So Stella, do you mind introducing yourself? I would love to. Thank you for having me. I am Thrilling. Stella and I am the founder of My Gold Standard. My pronouns are they, them, and I like to call myself a financial educator and activist. And my focus is really on wealth advocacy and having a humanized and intersectional approach to financial literacy because we need it. <laughs> we really do. And I just remember noticing when I first started following you on Instagram that you were like saying a lot of things about money and talking about like your own journey and things like that, that I don't think a lot of people are. And it it was like really refreshing to me because feel like we're in this tricky space where people want to like talk about capitalism a lot or be like capitalism kill is killing us all, which is true. I, I don't disagree with it. But we also still operate in a system where 
money is what makes a lot of our lives possible. So I often feel this sort of like, yeah, I feel a sense of things need to change or I would like to be more educated or these things, but like, I don't know where to begin. And something when you and I were first chatting about doing an episode that we kept like kind of coming back to was how many feelings that money brings up. Do you have any insight on why it brings up so many feelings? Because I know that you're also, you've done like uh, trauma training, that you are a trauma-informed educator as well, which I'm like, ooh, this is so cool in the context of money, you know? So what is it about money that brings up so many feelings? Wow. Big (laughs) money feels. Big money feels. (laughs) So many reasons, right? Like I think that when you go back to the root, just like your own personal root, money does make your world go round and the collective world go round. And even saying that is frustrating, but it is true. And when we have experiences with money, just like every other resources in our life. Money is a form of currency. There are a multitude of other forms like, you know, love being a form of currency, relationships, food and water, access to housing, all of these things. They're all money is intersects with all of those things. And when you have experiences with money at such a young age, like we all do, that inform how we interact with it. We build our identities around it without even knowing when we are Mm. like full forming adults and we start making money and we go to work and, you know, get our job and have to adult and do life. We're like, why do I feel so activated by this thing in my life? And that's how big money is in our culture and in our life. Um, So, of course, we're going to have big money feels around it. Yeah. It seems like, though, people, I feel this weird disconnect sometimes in conversations with friends and things where people will talk about these big feelings around money or these big things of identity or maybe some conflating it with self-worth and things like that. And yet if you're like, you know, money can be emotional or money brings up feelings, people are like shocked. They think it's so like cut and dry. And I find that really interesting. This thing that so clearly is emotional is like so clearly does attract narratives in these things. People are like, oh, I might feel some kind of way about this, you know? Do you think it's important for people if they want to shift their situation financially to really dive into their story? Absolutely. And this is the part where when I first got into the financial industry, it was totally not planned, um, definitely by (laughs) accident. And that's how I discovered how important money is, not necessarily just as like, oh, I have to use it to pay my bills, but how important it is to have an intentional relationship with money. And we've talked about this before, but the way that money reactivated itself in my life was through my father unexpectedly passing. And that is when I realized just how emotional money is. Um, mm-hmm. Talking about money in the face of death and having to exchange like 
to have photos of him printed out at his funeral and how much that cost would be and seeing how much it costs to like even just rent a casket for a viewing and all of the things that go into the death industry and the intersections of money with that and seeing how my mom's reaction was tallying up the bill. And she said to me, I thought being alive was expensive, but dying is also expensive. You and I have a strange overlap here where my introduction to a lot of money stuff was also my father's death and he didn't have a will. And it was, yeah, and it was a little messy. And you're right. I remember being at like the funeral home or something and seeing, you know, like they give you this like catalog essentially, you know, and you, you're you like, you can pick this and whatever. And seeing like what coffins start at, you know, is like sobering. And I know oh, yeah. people don't always believe in life insurance. And listen, it's not like life insurance pays out, the, you know, the next day or anything. But a thing, I think the the figure they use in the U.S. is the average funeral costs ten thousand yes. dollars, and it's like, if you think about that, it's like I don't know that many people, you know, with ten thousand dollars just sitting around to spend on something that like isn't cool in any way, you know, like yeah. it's not fun, isn't a vacation, isn't you know, and for me, like also seeing my mom have to get like brought up to speed on so much stuff and then become sort of the financial leader of our household when that hadn't really been her role in the past and like seeing her, you know, like she handled it with like a lot of grace. She really like pushed her sleeves up and like dug her hands in, but it was hugely impactful for me seeing her go through that, like in her forties. And as I've gotten older and been closer to the age she was, I'm like, Oh my God. And like, you're like, I'm at this point in my life now and reflecting where she was at. Right. Yeah. It's like the gift that keeps on giving, like it gets wilder and wilder to me. Like (laughs) it's wild to me that she didn't have a lot of financial literacy. She'd never had her own credit card, but like, she's also a woman of a certain generation. Like why would she have, you know? Yeah. And she probably was of the time where credit cards became accessible to her to even have like women weren't even allowed to have credit cards or bank accounts before. Yeah. Like my grandfather had to co-sign on it. And then from that, she went to my dad and it really impacted me that I was like, I'm going to be independent. You know, Mm -hmm. like I'm, that became one of the most important things to me. It's also why I super bought into like girl bossing and stuff (laughs) like it led me down some unfortunate paths as well but I was just sort of like oh my god that's so scary to think like if someone dies which unfortunately is a possibility that like everything falls apart you know and I didn't I mean thankfully like I was 16 at the time and so I was I was brought in to some of it. I was made aware of some of it, but I don't think I was as uh, involved as you were that Mm. I can see how this would redirect your life in multiple ways, you know, of being like, oh my God, (laughs) the awareness. And I mean, I could see how it would bring up the need for healing in multiple, obviously areas. Absolutely. And it also, that experience really informed me with how much we don't talk about money because Mm -hmm. of emotions and because of that taboo in our culture. 
my mom never really talked to me about money except from the lens of the struggle, like having to work all the time. I I wouldn't even say she really talked to me about money. It was more so like I knew that she was working really, really hard. And same with my dad, just like with my dad and how he died, he was one year away from retirement. And so like my relationship with money was like watching both of them work to the bone to put food on the table, to provide us with opportunity. And I was like, wow, you have to sacrifice so much Mm. to have a life, like to live. Yeah. And, And basics. Yeah. Just basic needs. And that's you know, when you are, when you are raised with that, you know, as reflected back to you and raised with that experience around money, you can't help but form an identity around it. It's, I would say it's pretty normal and I want, I want to normalize it just because there's so much shame behind it that we just don't talk about it. Um, we can, my mom, like (laughs) she looked at me that day. I remember she was like, so like, what should we do with the money stuff? And, and, you know, I was 24. So of course, like I was a bit older than you were when you lost yeah, your but dad. That's a baby. I mean, 20... I'm still, I was still a baby. You were yeah. still a baby. I was reading the other day that they were saying like, I want to say 21 to 27. It's being like reclassified as like emerging adulthood or something Ooh, uh, that's definitely the vibe especially <laughs> from like a psychological standpoint of like we're so hard on this age range and expect them to be adults but really like they're not and yeah. when i think back like so i'm with you 24 you yeah you weren't 16 but you were a baby I and didn't definitely have prefrontal lobe development yet <laughs> yes, you know yes exactly <laughs> yes and i mean and i do think that this is a common experience like i talk to people about this who come from like a single parent household that you do become even without your parents maybe like fucking you up you do become like co-counsel and I could just imagine if my mom at 24 had been like so what do you think about this money stuff I would be like ah I don't know like literally was me yeah Yeah, like I was uh, like what do you mean like why are you asking me I don't know this I don't know this shit yeah Yeah, I was like you're the she was like I thought like you learned this in school here. Like that's why I came to this country because I thought you get an education, you know, she didn't put it like that, but that was kind of like the theme of like, I don't understand. She was so She's like, I don't understand. Like, what do you mean? (laughs) You don't know. Like what, what did you go to school for to, if not to learn the basics of like what we should do next? Cause she, you know, she immigrated here in the eighties. Like she didn't, And she was, you know, I want to credit my mom, like she was good with money in the sense of like, she is the master hoarding money as a lot of immigrant parents are. So shout out to any first gen babies out there. Oh, Um, (laughs) my friend who has the most savings, first gen baby, you know, like, you know what? She's not even her mom came over and then she came over. She's she's. I guess her babies will be first gen. She's just gen. But there's still that, right? That culture and that experience carried on, you know, within how we coexist with money. And she, yeah, my mom, she really, she really tried. She, I remember when she was 
I was 16 and she was like, it's time for you to get a credit card. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, I'm going to get you a credit card, but it's going to be like attached to my credit, my bank. And I was like, what's a credit card? Like, what is that? Isn't, isn't credit bad? Isn't debt related to credit? And isn't it bad to have that? Like, I've just kind of heard conversations with the adults in my life that said those types of things. And my mom was like, oh, you're not going to use the credit card. I'm just opening it. And then you're going to be attached to my credit so you can build credit. And she was like, that's the first thing I learned when coming to America is like, get a credit score. That's really great. And because of her, I was building credit since I was 16. That's amazing. Yeah. I felt like a lot of my financial education was like piecemeal or sort of like, you didn't know that. And I would be like, I'm 13, you know, like, uh, you know, like, I feel like there was a lot of like, you should just know this. And, you know, similar to how your mom reacted, you know, when your father died of like, aren't you taught this? It's like, there is this thing with money and finances and all of this stuff that there's this, this assumption that there's like some secret class we're all missing, you know, and something you say and have said, if you're trying to subliminally message and make me think about it differently, it's working. But something you say a lot is like reimagining a relationship with money. And I wonder for you, like when, after your father passed away and you're like, really realizing all of that, is that when those wheels started to turn for you of like, I want this different relationship. Like, I don't want the struggle. Like, I don't want my life to revolve around this. And also I don't want to like not know about it or. Yes and no. Like Mm. it took me a while. So well, yeah, I mean, your plate was a little full. <laughs> I mean, me in all fairness, you were probably grieving, I would think, for a hot second. You I know? was absolutely grieving. And I grieved actually through a credit card. Like, I went and spent a lot of money doing the whole YOLO thing. Cause at first I was mm. like, money doesn't matter. Like it costs so much money to bury my dad in the ground or get him cremated. And I just got to see like how the death industry operates. And I went through kind of a rebellious mm. and I actually go through this sometimes in different forms when it comes to my relationship with money, uh, where I go through this like rebellious attitude. And sometimes it comes with like poor actions that have consequences. And in, in that, as someone who also <laughs> rebels against themselves, I am familiar with this pattern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I got this credit card and I just was like credit and debt and money. None of that matters because we're all going to die. And yeah. so I racked up, I would say over the course of that year, $21,000 of credit card debt on like a high interest credit card. So I didn't know like you know, that there were other options for me. I didn't have the financial literacy and I also didn't have the emotional, I didn't have the emotional literacy around my feelings with, with money and and grieving. Yeah. And I felt a lot of shame. I basically just YOLO'd around the world. I like went to Jordan, spent a lot of money. I went to Spain, spent a lot of money. I started my first business designing backpacks and put that all on a credit card and (laughs) <laughs> I was like, you know what? Who cares? And yeah. that's when I was like, oh, but I care actually. Like after a while, you 
look back and you're like, oh my gosh, like who is this? Who just yeah. spent all this money on this credit? Like you get your bill. Who stole this credit card? <laughs> uh, you know, like what? who, uh, my favorite is when you check your own checking account and you're like, who, this is fraud. And then <laughs> whenever I have to verify my mine, like, cause they're, they're very aggressive. They'll be like, and another purchase at CVS. I'm like, that's mine too. And they're like, and I was like, and another one at CVS. It's like, oh, <laughs> There's nothing worse than like really having to own your purchases. But speaking to this like emotional component of money and things at the time, did you have any awareness of like, I might be avoiding my feelings, like I might be spending my feelings versus or I mean, (laughs) grief is such a like it's such a um, like year one of grief is just like such a disorient. I think everyone should be declared like temporarily insane. I think like year one is so overwhelming and so you're just so discombobulated. Like you have yeah. no idea which way is up. And like, in that, and honestly, like that doesn't matter. Like I extend this year of you're not really yourself to any form of big loss and it doesn't have to be sudden or whatever. I just think like sometimes when you have those big, big, like this is big grief type losses, like you're out of your mind. Like there's a reason why they say don't make any sudden decisions and like things like that that I do, it is tough sometimes when you start to come down to earth and you're like, Oh no, <laughs> like I've been doing some things. I think at least like you had some pretty incredible life experiences, but something that comes up all the time around money and spending is, is shame. And you touched on that. Did you feel a sense of, cause I can do that. I, I mean, I feel that a lot where I've had a lot of privilege and things like that. And I will feel such immense shame of either like, I can't believe I I long for more. I'm already so privileged or I can't believe like I'm uh, stressing about X and there are people who have nothing. Or I think back of when I was really irresponsible and how much like money I wasted and stuff. And I've really had to get better about being like that shame does nothing that that shame doesn't help me get better. And I was in a particular shamey place a few years ago. It wasn't really, to be honest, until I left TV and went into tarot that I was like, oh, I don't know anything about money that I had really been lucky that I was like making enough money to to sort of hide a lot of my financial sins. And that's Mm. when I felt like so much shame of like how much I had like squandered resources or that I come from a position of privilege. So like I should be more knowledgeable. And I bought a bunch of Sue's Orman books. And that was like where I started because I would ask people and they would be like, oh, I have a guy or da, 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 da. Or like my parents taught me this. And I was like, there really is no place to learn, but you have to get over, I think, the shame first, you know, like, did you really... How far into a pit of shame did you fall after your year, your your rumspringa of trying to escape grief? Yeah. So I have a few things I want to like address here because it's like there's so much wisdom from that, from what you just said, and also from from the experiences that I've had when it comes to how I process my grief and and used money as a form of process, as a way to process that grief. The first thing is that, you know, you mentioned that like the first year that you lose someone, you kind of don't become 
yourself. Like you become someone else, you're out of your mind. But I actually felt like I was in my mind and everyone else was like, I was like, what y'all are living like death is not a real thing. Like that, like Mm -hmm. our, that, that we are just going to wake up tomorrow and be here. And when you are like, when you know, when you know that life is short and long at the same time, because it's both, you become so awake to that. And that's what was so isolating for me. I Mm. felt like life went on and I was here where I was like, but life does go on, but also it doesn't. So yeah, that that's a really great point of that is a a really uh, disorienting aspect of grief of yeah. of kind of toggling between well and just seeing how life has gone on when yeah yours has stopped at this point and in a way is very exactly. very disorienting yeah and so when I you know, look back at myself and see that person, that part of that, that part of me still exists, you know, swiping the credit cards, booking all these trips and, you know, starting a business so I can dedicate it to my dad. It was like a way of keeping him alive. And I look back and I have so much radical self compassion. And I think that's the medicine that shame needs uh, Mm. is that radical self-compassion and acceptance. I have so many clients that go into debt for whatever, you know, reasons. And I think like most of the reasons are tied to, I mean, so many different reasons, but I'm going to speak from the form of like, just trying to survive. Like they're just trying to survive, whether it be literally like I need to just put food on the table to trying to survive their emotional state, or it's a mix of like all of the above. Mm -hmm. And also we were doing what we could do with the information that we had. Like I didn't have financial literacy at that point. And so that's my third point that I want to bring up is that I started to remove the shame within me, like literally energetically, like in my mind, like, Hey, I'm taking out the shame. And is this shame actually mine? Mm. Where does this shame come from? Like, did I make up the shame or was it, you know, society and our, you know, collective culture in at least the United States I can speak to, you know, saying that, well, you don't know and you're just stupid and you didn't have it figured out because like it's your fault like financial literacy you should have known this and realizing no it's not my fault actually there were systems in place that made it so where my mom couldn't get a financial education where i couldn't get a financial education and majority of america doesn't even get that financial education we learn money through our parents that's number one is parents. And then if by chance you live in a state where it's a requirement to teach financial literacy in um, high school or even in college, sometimes in middle school too, it's very rare, then you, you learn through there. But then if you learn and then go to a household that doesn't talk about money and doesn't even want to engage with you about that conversation around money, it's just, yeah, it can, you can feel 
really lost and and internalize that shame yourself because you don't understand that it's a system of white supremacy, colonization, oppression that contributes to all of that shame that's within you. It's not actually yours. So we, in trauma of money, this is where I got uh, my, I, I became a certified trauma of money facilitator. We always ask the question when we have those big money feels come up is whose shame is this? Mm, and I love that. Yeah. That question really is what prompted my approach. It's funny. So my mom carved out money from my dad's life insurance for my mm -hmm. brother and I. Mm -hmm. And around, I guess, when I was graduating from college, I went to school in New York and was going to stay here. And she was like, you should buy an apartment. You should buy an apartment. And I was like, I'm 21. Like, is that legal? You know, like it was so overwhelming to me. And she was so like, casual about it and was like, well, it would make sense. You have this, you know, you have this money. Like I'm, I'm basically not going to give you the money for anything, but real estate. And like, it would help you with like, you know, save money and all this stuff. And I was so overwhelmed and I, you know, and I think about it now and I'm like, oh, I felt so much shame. Like I felt so much shame that I was able to have this thing that people really wanted that I was going to be able to purchase property or, or have a home in New York or whatever. And I had like no clue how to go about it or how does one make this decision or how does one know if what they're buying is like a piece of shit or not. And I felt so much like pressure to not get it wrong, to be like, not only is this a lot of money, but it's also tied to my father. So it feels like a legacy thing as well. Even though now I've changed and I'm like, my mom's the OG, like my mom <laughs> bought my apartment. And I was like, cause that she did it. He didn't. So anyway, but at the time, you know, I did feel all of that. Like it was so emotional. And I realized like, I was just so young. I didn't know that. Like, I thought it was all about the responsibility responsibility for me. But I'm like, no, I felt so much shame that I had no clue how to navigate it. And like, I didn't even get a real estate agent. I just went to open houses I found on the New York Times. Like, I'm so lucky <laughs> I didn't end up getting like murdered or like sold like a cardboard haunted box house. on the street. Like, <laughs> oh, haunted I might have been into. But, yeah, same. you know, a, a lot of like apartments I looked at, you know, where the floor was like this and they were like, oh, don't worry. It's just a little thing. And I was like, I don't think it's a little thing. You know, a lot of where there was only like one sink or there literally was two I looked at where the bathtub was in the middle of the kitchen and I was like that's an interesting feature good old I, New York real yeah, estate yeah and, <laughs> and stuff and I just was like I felt this juxtaposition of like I'm so lucky and I think like here's the thing listen I'm not saying you know cry for me as a privileged person but if you come from privilege as well I think you get shame in this I think you internalize this shame not so much of like that the shame is different of like, you should know this, like you've grown up with access to wealth or you've grown up with these things, like you should be able to navigate this. And it's like, it all comes down to the same thing of like, we're not, if you don't have financial literacy, you don't have financial literacy. If you're not being taught things, if it's not being discussed, there was this expectation in my household of like, you would just like know how to do things, but no education and no discussion. There was no like, 
this is how buying property should work. Or these are the things to be aware of. It was just like winging it. And finally with my mom, I was like, can you come see this place and just make sure I'm not like totally messing up? And she was like, oh, you just want to like pay attention to the bones. She's like, we can, we can redo a bathroom. We can redo a kitchen, but we can't like change the layout. And I was like, that's so beyond where I'm thinking right now. Like I, <laughs> we're talking remodeling. Like I'm not, no, 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 no. Like I'm overwhelmed just thinking of like any of this. Like we're not, no, 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 no. I think back on some of that stuff when I was younger and I think I played it off a little bit like YOLO or like flying by the seat of, the, seat of my pants, but really I was ashamed. And because like none of my friends were buying apartments in their 20s, I wasn't talking to them about it. I wasn't talking to anybody about it because I was just like, this is not a real problem. Like, you you know, like I was so dismissive to myself. And it's just so crazy to me how we all go in these circles with, with that of like, we feel bad that we don't know. But then it was like, how would you know? I think something that you talk about that's really interesting is, you know, is money evil or has it been weaponized to control people? And we were talking also a little bit about like social media and sort of judging others and looking at other people and like, is someone thriving necessarily like oppressing you and how these things have sort of gotten a little bit murky in the sense of like, yes, I do think money I agree with what you're saying in that I do think money has obviously been weaponized and I don't know all the time that if someone is doing, you know, better than me or has something that I want, I don't think they're necessarily an oppressor. You know, I think they're just sometimes living a good life. You know, something I think about a lot is how much context serves us. Mm -hmm. And I like that a lot of your work seems to come back to context of, you know, is money evil or is it weaponized? You know, like, is somebody oppressing us or are they just thriving? You seem to come back to context. What are ways that you, I guess, have done that for yourself to be able to have that distance and make those observations? Yeah. That is a journey that I am still on because (laughs) the way that I view it, and it's something that I really didn't, every time I think that, oh, I've healed this part of my Mm. relationship with money, it's like something new happens and I'm like, oh, the fish hooks are still in there. The fish hooks of capitalism, colonization, white supremacy, it's really, really deep in there and there's still a lot of poison I need to release, you know? And so I I think like for me, I have a lineage where survivor's guilt is a big thing. Um, When my mom came from the Philippines to this country, and and even now I still see it in, in what she does like in her life. She carries that guilt with her and shame of like, I don't live in poverty anymore. Mm. And that means that I betrayed my people, right? Mm. And like, you know, and and this is this is actually, she has never said this to me. This is how I receive and see her. And this is how I I create meaning for myself because I have felt that too. Sure. I have felt a lot of shame around making money. Even though like in those moments, I didn't even have my basic needs met. Like I was just getting by. And I remember thinking, 
like, if I feel shame and guilt now, like, what am I going to like do when I actually do have my needs met yeah. as, as every person should have access to, yeah. um, and, and, and I still feel this like shame and guilt and I, and I'm getting closer and closer to that. And it's really mind, like, it's mind blowing to me that that's still something that I feel, even though I'm so aware and conscious of it. But I think that when you talked about, and we talked about this, the weaponization of money, I really think that what's important is to separate you from the system. Yes. Right? Because it's the system that's weaponizing it. And also to separate money from it. It's really the system. It's It can be insidious, you know? And I think that it's a story and a part of our culture to instill within us to keep us oppressed. Mm-hmm. Like I really do think the system is very intentional about that. And I remember like I had, I forget who I was talking with about this, but I had one person ask me, and I think I think it was like a, a friend of a friend. And she asked me, how much money do I need to make? Because like, after I have my needs met, I just want to give away the rest. And I, in my mind, I was like, well, would you like, I can't define what your needs are, um, first Mm. of all. And are you thinking just like your basic needs in this moment? Are you thinking about the needs of your future self? Because when I was looking at her numbers, I was like, you meet your basic needs now, but you can't redistribute your money right now. You actually don't have wealth. We talk about like wealth redistribution. And again, it comes with that survivor's guilt, at least, you know, for me of like, I was like donating and redistributing my quote unquote wealth when I was still paying off my high interest debt. And I was barely making, you know, buy on rent in New York city and like trying to even like support my mom, like through this transitionary chapter in her life with not having my dad around to support with like the mortgage and also send my sibling to college still. Like there was just so much. (laughs) And I remember like being so grateful for that person that said, you need to make sure your cup is full before you give away your money, even though it's, it's from a place of, or redistribute your money, even though it's from a place of generosity and care, but also is it because you feel guilty? Is it because you feel shame thriving or even just surviving in a system that leaves so many people behind? Yeah. I've been in that position and I had that conversation with my brother. He was saying that, you know, he had given someone $200 and I was like, why? And he's like, well, I feel bad. I have more than them, blah, blah, blah. And I go, right. But just because you had that money in your checking account, doesn't mean you really had it. Cause I'm like, you had to ask me to borrow money. So like you didn't have that money to give. And, and it was funny because we ended up having a conversation where I was like, I think you're doing it out of guilt. And like, regardless of of where you come from or what your background is or whatever, like you're allowed to have a budget and you're yeah. allowed to say no. Because I, I think that we all also underestimate the effect that money and all these things have in our identity. And I know that most of us want to be somebody who like can help and can give and can, you know, like I think more 
more people want to give money away in some way or another than don't, you know? But then we're also the economy of like influencers and stuff. I'm like, sometimes I'm like, how are we not talking about like that? This is like keeping us trapped that if we're just buying all these things because people we like have made up ideas about, you know, that we have parasocial relationships with like that, like we can't do the things we'd really like to do in our lives or whatever, you know, I'm like, yeah. that lip gloss is not going to make you look like her. I have to like tell myself all the time, <laughs> you know, and there's so much identity in that of like, I want this or I want, you know, there's so much fantasy. I think we all, especially too, I think if you live in New York or you live in certain cities, there's obviously a lot of money talk. There's a lot of wealth talk. There's just a lot of money around. Mm-hmm. And so I think it can also be, um, appealing to be like, I've made it. I can redistribute, you know, I can redistribute. There we go. Well, then I like that someone's like, but dude, you're, you're not wealthy. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like you're barely making it by, which is like nuts. When I think back to like, I do believe in mutual aid. I do believe in community care and these things, but it does seem like it's often falling on people who really, don't have it to give to keep upholding these systems, you know, which also is like really depressing to me that it is the person who maybe has only, you know, $50 left over that week. That's like, okay, who can I give it to someone in need? And it's like, what about people who maybe have $5,000 left over at the end of the week? Can y'all come, come aboard? Can we get you involved? You know? Yeah. So I'm part of a wealth redistribution group. See, I'm now I'm like struggling with redistribution. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm part of a wealth redistribution group and our slogan per se is save, invest, and then redistribute the rest. Because mm. if you're able to save, if you're able to invest in your future, because this is the thing, a lot of people also feel this like ickiness around investing because yeah, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. But So I'm not, I'm just going to plant that seed. So people feel icky about it, but what they are not understanding, and it it makes sense why they feel icky about it. I mean, it has like really terrible roots, the stock market. I don't think there's anyone who will be a stock market (laughs) apologist. Don't worry. Yeah. Like I think we all understand why we feel badly about it. It seems gross. I I totally get it. And there are alternatives. I'll I'll say that. And we need to invest because as we live right now, inflation is inflating and doing its thing. Yeah. And investing is a way to keep up with inflation. And most people end up retiring into poverty. So you might not be in poverty right now, but once you hit retirement, either you'll never be able to quit your job or actually retire. So they just like, you know, my father was a year away from not even, he was about to retire and he didn't make it. And my my dad, yeah. Yeah. And it's, and that's such a big part of my money story. Like, I feel like I don't want to work until, and like work to death. Like that's, that's a big thing for me. Um, and so I think about all versions of me. I think about past Stella, I think about present Stella and I think about future Stella. And so in our wealth redistribution circle, this is the thing, like people think that they have to have so much money to redistribute their wealth and make change and impact in the world. When you don't need to have a lot of money. You just have to have a lot of people. And I think that when more people come together and embody this 
in their life and in their budget and in their finances, we can see that change happen. And then it doesn't rely on just one person or a group of people. Of course, I do believe like policy needs to change. Like I I really believe in a UBI, like universal basic income, because I don't actually believe that we should be fending for ourselves to have our needs met. I think that we should all have our needs met in this society, in this country. And then anything extra, you know, we can use to enhance our, you know, livelihood, right? And the livelihood of others around us. But that's, yeah, that that wealth redistribution group has been super illuminating for me because I really think that we we talk about what does it mean when we're not there yet? If we can't, we don't have the wealth. So then we focus on, okay, well, how about we teach you on how to get there? How about we figure mm. out how to get there? Because most of the time, it's really an income issue in this country that yes. like, it's not really that we're like spending, getting all wild out there with our credit cards, <laughs> even though, you know, I spent a few years doing that. But I also think that it's really, we're not taught how much money that we should be making to support having our basic needs met wherever, whatever location that we are. It's always interesting to me when friends go like self-employed and for a while I rented a space and I ran it with two other women and friends will be like, oh, can I use your space? And I'd be like, yeah, like it's 25 an hour. And they'd be like, oh, but that means I only make X. And I'm like, welcome to business, baby. You know, <laughs> like, like it sucks for all of us, you know, like I can't let you have it for free. Cause I have two partners, you know, like it sucks that we all do have to sit down and like really look at and think about these things. And I like which, you know, you're saying that you think about all the versions of yourself because the, the person you mentioned as an example saying like, you know, how much do I need? And you're like, it's like things change. Like you literally just might want to make different choices. Like you literally might just want one more vacation a year in five years. Like, what do you mean? Do I have enough? You know, like that is just such a difficult question, but like a lot of what I hear in what you're saying is that you have to be like really to have the relationship that like ideally we're all having with money. You have to be willing to really sit down and like get real with yourself of Mm -hmm. what do I want for myself? Like, am I okay working up until the bitter end? You know, like my grandfather went from like the boardroom to the hospital in his eighties. Like he was happy in that regard. You know, that was that was how he wanted to live. You know, Mm. I think there are people like that out there. It could never be me, but you know, (laughs) same. I'm like, I'll pass. (laughs) Yeah. And it, but it wasn't until I got a bit older, you know, that I was like, Oh, right. Like, you know, I'd always had this dream of like having a a second place in in New York to like either like a little shack upstate or like something on the beach or whatever. And I was like, oh, right. Like that will never happen unless I really set the goal and then work towards it. You know, that I was like, what changes are you making? Like, what are you doing in your life to support this? And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of us forget how to align our values, our money goals, and then just like sit down, I think, with a bunch of like printed out bank statements and things to just sort of go, how do I make it happen? Because I'm with you. I don't think people are spending that wildly. I think a lot of people actually do 
spend a lot of money on little things Mm -hmm. because they don't feel the big things they want are within their reach. Absolutely. So those little things can add up. So yeah, I guess, I guess to give more context, like I do feel like this culture is so in like consumerism is ingrained in us. Like we are seen as not human beings by the system. We're seen as like consumers. And so we are spending, you know, money like as a collective, like we are. However, I just like from the work that I've been in and the clients that I've been supporting, yeah, they're spending money and it is a little bit out of control, but only because inflation is really going up and they're being constantly told that they're not enough and they're only going to be enough if they have X, Y, Z. Oh, for, oh, for sure. Like I still don't blame people like Ashley. I'm trying to think what her last name is. Reese maybe. I can't remember on Twitter said something about $75,000 a year, not being a lot of money in like in New York, like that, that's not a big salary. And people tried to comfort her in the comments of like, you know, acting like the, the, I mean, people were calling her like the bourgeoisie and all this stuff. Oh my stuff. gosh, really? And it was great. The New Yorkers and the like, there was a lot of the youth coming after her who was mm. like, you know, I'm a barista. And she was like, yeah, I don't think you're a loser because you're not making 75K. I'm saying like for living in New York, like that would still not be very doable for a lot of people, you know, like it just was talking just more of the insanity of the the cost of living and stuff like she, she was not, I agree with her statement. This is conversations I've had with friends that to even be like middle-class in New York, you have to be making like six figures that it's just insane yeah. what the cost of living is and stuff like this. But it was shocking to me, like just the whole thread in general was just sort of illuminating to me of like, how little money some people are making like Mm -hmm. and in certain places in the country like the fact that i think we don't have like a universal minimum wage is insane to me and like the last time the minimum wage was raised was in 2000 and i think it was 2009 i mean i don't like fact check me but it was a long i remember reading this and it was a long freaking time it's 2009 yeah i just looked it up 2009 that's wild to me. That is, I I mean, it's it, like that that's the place we're starting from. And it's just like, I, I agree with you. I don't think the salary is like, and this comes up all the time. And like, it also comes up in terms of like paid labor and things like that. And like, you know, I know a lot of people, like a lot of people will tell me about the podcast or like get an intern. And I'm like, but I can't, I'm not really giving somebody the educational equivalent of a credit. Like I'm just mm-hmm. not, you know, like, but I can't really afford to pay someone either. So I'm like, I will soldier on until I can do that, you know, Mm -hmm. because I don't want to exploit somebody. And that's what it would be to me. It's exploitive, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that America has been so good in the branding of like exploitations. Okay. As long as it like makes you money or it gets you somewhere like whatever. And that's something I've become more aware of in terms of my own money of like, is what I'm putting towards is what I'm supporting. Like, is it fostering liberation or is it like continuing exploitation, you know? And it's not, you know, it's not always as highfalutin as that, but it's like what I try to be grounded in both in terms of what I'm supporting and how I'm positioning myself and how I'm just spending my money. Because 
I agree with you that it's like, it's the salaries, it's the system being unwilling to recognize that things have changed. You know, there's, it's my favorite when boomers are like millennials and Gen Z's, (laughs) like they won't leave homes and people are like, do you know what homes cost? Like when you got out, like versus what they are for, uh, like, it's just so silly to me. Yeah. I'm curious though, as we start to get close to an hour um resources if people want to educate themselves what i mean besides working with you which obviously everybody should do and i know you host workshops sometimes everyone should attend them um (laughs) but what do you suggest like do you have any recommendations for people of safe entry points to education yes so my approach would be to put on your researcher hat and mm. to do a little bit of like self-reflection on your ancestors and where they come from and their experiences or lack thereof with money and work and you know capitalism or or a different economic system because those can be real shit too, depending on, you know, who's in charge and what's happening in the world. And, um, and, and yeah, just start with that because sometimes I feel like we get so wrapped up in the ancestral trauma that we don't actually tap into the wisdom. And that's Mm. something really, really, um, that was really powerful to me. I thought, oh, like my lineage, just like new poverty, but actually, my ancestors were wealthy and had abundance at one point in time, and it was actually taken from them. And so that gave me a lot of wisdom because I'm like, well, I actually do have a lineage of abundance. Yeah. Um, so I would start there and, and do some like self-reflection and research and just talk to your family members if you can, or come up with like a ancestral uh, ritual where you can cultivate a relationship with them if you don't have access to you know, like names and photos and, and, you know, people that are alive, like to tell you those stories. Um, so I'd start there and then I'd actually, from that point, then move to reading this book. It is by Marianne Williamson. It's called the law of divine compensation, I believe is Mm. the, is the name. And that book, I actually prefer that book more so than what most people get there, you know, start with when it comes to building a relationship with money. Um, Jen Sincero's You're a Badass at Making Money. I did. Mm. That was actually one of my first entry points into mindset work, emotional work around money. And it was great. But there's some stuff that I just was like, okay, like I'm only going to take what yeah. you know, serves and leave the rest. But this Marianne Williamson, it's, it's holistic. It's intersectional. It's, it, it's just so, it's also very humanized and it's all encompassing. And I think that's, it's a spiritual relationship, emotional relationship, and like a mental relationship that she addresses when it comes to money. Other resources that I would say trauma of money, that's like where I got my training from. They're really great. And when it comes to like the basics of financial literacy, I mean, there's just a wealth of free resources, pun intended, um, on the internet. I mean, I have free resources that, you know, could support anyone listening here on their, you know, financial journey to individual and collective 
liberation because like that's what we're here for it's not just we know that the liberation within ourselves is also the liberation of our community so you know i do have a resources page and the one i want to point to that's free is my need want dream toolkit because that. that is what you will find in that question that that one person asked me like what what are my needs like how much do i need to make to have my needs met and that actually that workbook that's it's free you can figure that out for your needs your wants and your dreams like the the mm. and and it it's something that we're not taught like i i was just taught go to college get a job and say yeah. yes to the first job offer you get because you're not going to have choices okay <laughs> Like yeah. you're lucky if you just get a job offer. And I remember I got a job in New York City as an apprentice and it was paid and it was like 20 bucks an hour. And everyone was like, that's like way more than minimum wage, which was $7 and 25 cents, let me tell you. And I was like, oh my God, this is so good. And then realizing, oh, I, I can barely pay my rent. Yeah. <laughs> I got it done every month, but I had to, I had to juggle like, I was doing that being a nanny as well and I could not I was over I was overworking to have my needs met and even though I had my financial needs met I didn't have my emotional and mental needs met cuz it came at such a high cost. So I would say find out what you need to make so you you can actually figure out that number and open yourself up to yeah abundant opportunities that can provide for you. And so I'm transitioning from saying, I don't want you to learn how to make money or what money you need to make. I want you to learn how to receive money. Like receiving just feels way more, like, doesn't that feel like nicer? Yeah. I'm like tingly. (laughs) And it's funny because the episode that comes out tomorrow, Stella and I are recording this on a Monday, is the astrology one. And there, there's a lot about receiving. We have a Venus Ooh, retrograde yes. and a lot about loving and resourcing yourself. And so your episode will come out after that. And I love the continuation of that story of, because mm-hmm. something I was thinking about while you were saying that is like, we don't all often need to do more. Like yes. what we're doing isn't usually the problem, you yeah. know, like, I do think we can block our blessings in the sense of it. it is like receiving whether it's like you're spending all this money on X and like a friend has offered, you know, to help or to, do, you know, it's like just receiving that sometimes is like easier, you know, like I make all this, this big fuss about cleaning my apartment. I hate it. I'm not good at it. I get into dire straits and now I'm like, hire someone. Like your time is better spent doing something else. You can employ someone to do that. Like let's, let's, let's put some money in someone else's pocket versus like whatever this bizarro, like, you know, will they, won't they you're doing with this is like taking too much energy, put it elsewhere. But I had to get to that point of being receptive to the help, you know, receptive to the resource, receptive, you know, and I think it's really true. And I think that that's where, you know, for all the like hashtag abundance, you know, and, and, and all that, like cringe, (laughs) uh, cringe economy. Most of us do want more money or want more experiences or want to travel more, want to grow or whatever. Like, I think that that is normal that it is a real shift to think of you can cultivate 
a rich, you know, abundant life that feels really good, feels in alignment and does honor not just your, your needs, but your wants and your dreams and things. And it doesn't mean you have to work yourself to the bone. You know, yeah. like I really do think that's you don't possible. Have to earn it. Yeah. You don't have to earn it. You, but you have to be willing to like allow it. You have to yeah. be willing to receive it. And that is the work I think we're all like, ew, you know, like when you think about that, because it's harder, like that's a harder thing. Like that's something that's harder to answer in terms of like, why won't you allow this to, to come to you? You touched on it a little bit, but like, where can people find you if they want to work with you? What is the best way? And I mean, are you taking clients in the moment? Give us a little bit of that skinny. Yeah, would love to. Um, so my company is My Gold Standard. You can find me at my gold standard on Instagram. Uh, my website's mygoldstandard.co. And I actually just closed my books on taking new clients. <gasps> yes. So just... I definitely unlocked the um, receiving portal because I <laughs> was working so hard and I was like, ah, ah, ah why is your boss being such a bitch? And I was like, oh, it's me. I'm the boss. <laughs> oh, right, And right, right, I'm, ex right. I'm exploiting myself. Like no one's exploiting me. Like I need to take a step back and release the pressure. Of course, it's the fish hooks of capitalism, right? Yeah. But, but I became conscious and I was like, you know what? I'm going to let go. Open up the portal to receiving. And you know, that's G's J. That's the universe's J. Like, and it just like full, like it, I don't know what, in a week, like literally, that's amazing. I love that. Um, I'm booked out until November and then I'm going on sabbatical. So, however, not taking new one-on-one -on -one clients for that container. However, there will be other offerings that I have. I'm going to plant a seed, but there's one offering that's community focused and it's going to be all about wealth activism. And I'm really love excited that. for that because that's that's the the movement and the impact that I want to make in this world. And I know that I can't do it by myself and not even like two people can do it themselves. Like all yeah. movements, a community is behind it. And so, yeah, that's, yeah. Let's that's make everybody up. a billionaire, except for the like, I don't know, 20 except we pay have your now. taxes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's, let's be conscious billionaires. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be really funny. Let's start the conscious billionaire movement. Oh my God. That would be so, I'd be like, yo, this, <laughs> this country, the cringe economy right there, yeah. you know, I, <laughs> you know what? Someone's going to listen to this episode. Unfortunately, they're going to be like, yes. And they're yeah. going to like, develop their course. Sarcasm? Yeah. Like <laughs> I just at this point, they'll be like, oh, yeah, I could make a course about that and get that passive income. I'm like, oh, man. Dude, I'm going to charge so much money for it. And then you're going to make so much money, yeah. dude. You just have and to I sign on five other people. And I'm like, and once again, we have a, pyra a pyramid scheme. And yet somehow we can cannot evolve beyond my, my friend sent me this thing and I just sent her the, sometimes uh, it's funny I've, I'm having surgery in a couple weeks and so I'm I'm on this like special yeah. diet and it's like limited my patience <laughs> and the, my friend sent me this thing and she was like 
you know, and I just sent her back the episode of Criminal that was on um, Ponzi and, and the scheme. I was like, I think you should listen to this and then answer your own question. I was just <laughs> like, it's a pyramid scheme. Like, that's what it is, you know? <sighs> um, it just made me laugh. I was just like, it's a scam. Like, yeah. if it looks like a scam, it feels like a scam. It's probably a scam, you yeah. know? Like, unfortunately. Hey, I've gotten got before. So. Oh, same. I, I, I got I, got once. <laughs> I, and I say it as someone who like, I understand the appeal. I get yeah. why this stuff. And as someone who is a small business owner, like I, I more resent that that's what I'm up against in terms of marketing and trying to break mm-hmm. through the chatter and things like that. But, oh, I am not confused about the sexy and endearing allure <laughs> of this simple, you know, it's like diets. It's like all of that. Follow these steps and you'll get this guaranteed result. And it's just like, oh, I'm just I what I've divested from is thinking that anything is truly that simple. Like, yeah. I think things are simple in the sense of you need to sit down and think about it and think about what you really want and ask yourself hard questions. I think that comes about anything. Yeah. And we all want to be like, no, but I'm pretty sure someone else knows. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure someone <laughs> else is supposed to tell me. And it's like, oh, I don't think it works that way. But thank you so much for joining me today, for sharing your journey. Is there anything you wanted to share that we didn't touch upon? Hmm. Actually, it's so weird that you're asking me that because I just thought of a thing and I actually want to touch upon the power of sweet, sweet therapy, the other pyramid scheme. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm like kind of, but I'll allow Have it. Have you heard you know? the good word yeah. of therapy? Um, yeah. Sal and I are here today to talk about. <laughs> so what I do, I'm not a financial therapist. And I, I mm. want to make that clear because I think that there are some, I like to pride myself more of, of like a I'm a financial educator and what I do is like psychoeducation and and I I share my own experience. That's like where yeah. I come from. But I want to give a shout out to the therapist cuz I work with a therapist and a lot of my worthiness around receiving cuz it's so tight my thing is like it's tied to like not feeling worthy and I yeah. learned that I'm reminded of that all the time in therapy. I'm like <laughs> Really? You got to tell me this again? It's like, this is a lesson I got to relearn. She's like, yes, you need to value yourself. It's the worst. They're like, it's that thing again. And you're like, oh, (laughs) You're like, ding, ding, ding. Oh. And so I I just want to give a shout out to the therapist and to, if you are a person that's in a place where you're like, I think I need the financial therapy or a therapy in general first to address my, you know, anxiety I have around money or my trauma around money, starting with therapy, you know, is a really great, great place to start as a, as a resource. And there are, you know, free resources out there when it comes to therapy that you can, um, you know, research and, and, find a way yeah. to be a part of. A lot of um, people do sliding scale. Sliding scale. Exactly. I was on, um, I'm still on Medicaid, but I was on Medicaid before in New York City and my therapy was free. Um, and I, oh, shout out yeah. to Allison. You know who you are. It changed <laughs> my changed my life. And I couldn't believe that I had access to free health, mental health care because it's so rare. Yeah. Um, but it exists. I promise. It might be a unicorn, but unicorns exist. <laughs> it's worth it. Also, like the New York Business Bureau or something. Uh, your city also might have resources, Absolutely. which is worth like 
my first year of business, I, I had like a mentor that the city connected me with and yeah. stuff and was really helpful and stuff like that. So like it, it may be annoying and you might have to do some digging, but you can find free resources out there, you know, yes. that are maybe feel vetted or legit. And to Stella's point, yeah, therapy. I mean, obviously I go hard for therapy. I believe in it big time, <laughs> but to Stella's point, money, these things aren't, they don't exist in a vacuum that receiving often, like why people struggle with it is there's also somewhat relinquishing control. Like, so if you look at maybe what are some of the themes of where you hit resistance in your life, it's probably mirrored in your relationship with money, you know? <laughs> probably. So if you're kind of like, I don't know what, like, what is my story with money? Or like, I don't, you know, like these, this gives you some stuff to think about, you know, like yeah. when money comes up or you, the idea of like someone taking care of something for you, like, does it make you want to barf? Or are you like, yes, you know, like these are places to sort of figure out like maybe what are the resources you need or mm-hmm. where could you maybe you know, some points of inquiry. Yeah. Getting comfortable with receiving because we're, we're comfortable with giving, but receiving is hard. It's, it's more vulnerable than giving actually. So I love that you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. It was very, especially when I went into more like kind of healing and client-based work. And when people kept emphasizing the importance of also receiving and Mm -hmm. it can kind of mess with your energetics. Like if you're just always giving and it's true, it also will make you turn into a terrible person because you will feel so sorry for yourself. You get, you can really, that martyr thing can, can flip and like, then you're not being of service. So it's like everything, you know, I think it can be helpful to sort of know what is your like energetic temperament and, Mm -hmm. and then to know kind of what the baseline is to then know when you need to sort of like, reel yourself in or maybe baby needs a treat, you know, like maybe baby needs to receive, you know, so all of this stuff feels very interconnected. And I'm glad that you brought up the Marianne Williamson book, which also talks, I think a lot about all of that, you know, well, thank you so much for being with me today. I super appreciate it. I'm like so excited to be like, finally here y'all an episode (laughs) about money, you know, I'm so excited. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I hope everybody will track you down on on the internets. And I can't wait for the the new offering because that's something I'm definitely interested in. So hopefully I'll see everybody else in class with Stella in, in the future. <laughs> I'd love to have y'all. <laughs> All right. That's all for today, but I'll see you next week. Well, I won't see you. I say this every week, but you will hear me next week. Bye. I hope you enjoyed hearing Stella's thoughts and I hope you will sign up for some of their resources. I think that we all can and should be living abundantly and I get why we're not and I get why that feels hard but I hope that Stella opened up your mind a little bit to there are some possibilities that's all for this week see you next week bye that's all for today If you're interested in submitting a topic, please go to annatonk.com and hit the contact button. Or you can email me at annatonk at gmail.com. If you're a fan of the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really does help.